Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey guys, it's Jeff. This is part two of the 2000s episode. If you haven't caught part one yet, pause, go find the part one file, start from there. Uh, We're picking up with Lance Briggs on the 2000s episode right after the music intro. No, and one guy that actually did get a lot of postseason recognition is the next player that we're going to talk about, and you have Lance Briggs, so why don't you go ahead and talk about Lance. Yeah, the the perfect compliment to Brian Erlacher, a third-round draft pick out of Arizona, and quite a steal because Briggs thought he would go higher. His agent was Drew Rosenhaus, and so this was a guy who was pretty accomplished at Arizona, and slipped in the draft for whatever reason but certainly uh, fortunate for the Bears that they got him and another guy that early in his career established himself in that first training camp really got the recognition and notice from a lot of the veterans and a lot of reporters that uh, the Bears probably got a good one here and uh, he doesn't start till somehow doesn't start till week four of his rookie year and I like this story because the Bears were 0-3 and Briggs and Peanut Tillman both haven't started yet, and they finally get a start together week four against the Raiders, who are actually the defending AFC champions. They're bad at that point. Like, you know, the Raiders just fall off a cliff. But uh, Briggs and Peanut start, and the Bears win. And, and so I just thought that's a, a great start to those guys' career. And, you know, I in his position and what he was asked to do, I don't know if he ever – got a chance to be to, to make the type of flashy plays that an Erlacher could or a Mike Brown could or or someone on the line but I have a vivid memory of him in the 2004 season when this defense was really starting to show what they could do it's the Tennessee game of 2004 where we've won two games in a row with Craig Krenzel somehow <laughs> and we're playing Tennessee and Tennessee isn't great by any means but we have Craig Krenzel as our quarterback. Right. And I I swear it was a game like where the Bears like don't even get into Titans territory until like the fourth quarter, but the defense just takes over and I should remember Briggs, like they kept calling Lance Briggs on the tackle. Briggs, Briggs. And he I, he like had deflections and so I went back and checked the box score and in this game he had fifteen tackles, twelve solo tackles, two pass deflections. And I just I, I remember like this guy is all over the field like this guy is awesome and so I just remember thinking at that time, man, him and Erlacher, it's gonna be these guys forever, and they're gonna be great. And when you think those things, they don't tend to ever work out. But this somehow worked out where it was him and it was Erlacher, and they played together for you know nearly ten years. And just to think that man, I gotta watch him and I gotta watch Erlacher for that whole time it was just. Very, very lucky. He, like you said, much more uh, recognition than Peanut got. He has seven straight Pro Bowls. He's a first-team All-Pro in 2005. Uh, Jeff, we need to take a second and talk about that 2005 defense. I think the 2005 defense is better than the 2006 defense. Right. Uh, but guess you want to guess his approximate value score in 2005. Uh, Erlacher's was 21. Briggs was, take a guess. 20. Close, 19. Okay. So just think about that. The, you know, our quarterback situation, I don't think people recognize how bad it was with Orton and Grossman. And you had Briggs and you had Erlacher and you got Tillman 
just carrying this team to the playoffs. And so Briggs starts to get that recognition, and with recognition comes wanting to get paid. And so that's how I remember a lot of Briggs, you know, after the Super Bowl is is wanting to get paid, and he's the best at his position in the league. And so I always think guys should try and get paid when they can. And, 100%. And just, you know, and he never – probably never got the contract that he wanted and he always wanted to be traded but we never traded him and you know he just he played at such a high level throughout his whole career like there's not really a drop off of Briggs until he starts getting hurt in his last couple years and you look at him in the 2010s he's still playing at a Pro Bowl level he's still playing great and you know I, I think memories I have of Briggs are in a game you know especially like against the Packers where struggling like we need someone to make a play like I'm always looking to to Erlacher or Peanut to make a play and I'm always looking to Briggs and I remember Briggs picking off Rodgers in the NFC Championship game I think it was like right before halftime to kind of like keep us in it and Erlacher had a pick in the second half too and and so you know Briggs was the type of guy that wasn't going to put up huge numbers in terms of sacks or even interceptions like he did doesn't have nothing jumps off the page at you when you look at his stats except for tackles but I don't think tackles get a lot of attention a guy that when he was in the lineup you were going to get an all pro effort and he is fifth all time with 170 starts in Bears history and so I love that stat about him because god he was there and he played at a pro bowl level for so long and um you know you talked about peanut in hall of fame I I put I put Briggs in that similar category where they've probably done enough to warrant serious consideration I just don't know if Briggs is going to get it but he's highly respected by his peers Rogers always spoke and still speaks glowingly of Lance Briggs and actually McCarthy too and just Mike McCarthy coach of the Packers and so I I like his chances, but maybe not right away. I, I could see him being a guy when the veterans committee decides. Maybe that's his better option. But uh, you know, you talk about Tillman and Barber. You know, Derek Brooks is a pretty good comparison for Lance Briggs. And so, uh, what do you think? Does he have a chance at the Hall of Fame? Does he have a better chance than I think he does? I don't. I I don't. And I they didn't advance him very far in his first year of eligibility and so i'm i'm really kind of curious to see what happens in the short term and if he drops off quickly then you know he needs to be nominated again and again for him to continue to stay on the ballot and he can stay on the ballot for 15 years and then goes to that senior committee vote and like you said you know again they can happen you know a guy like ed sprinkle kept off the hall of fame for a very long time just just put on uh jimbo covert same thing he might be he might be a senior committee vote candidate it's also might be the kind of guy like a joel fortunato who is really really good but is just not enough to make the hall of fame and i'm i'm just curious if the Erlacher over overshadowing briggs is enough for him to not get in if the bears not winning a super bowl let alone multiple super bowls yeah. limits the amount of people because that's a lot of what the hall of fame is is not only it's the best of the best players and then it's also like the story of the nfl so if you win a few super bowls you know and you're you know the second best player the third best player on that team that you know that sort of thing gets you in there too so i i have a hard time seeing how he makes it given what i've studied from the from voting patterns but it's it's not impossible but i think it's going to be a hard it's gonna be a tough road for him yeah i was going to ask you if, if the bears you know win one of those if, if the bears win that super bowl and maybe get to another maybe it's more likely that briggs and tillman get in but I, i'm, I'm kind of with you i i it's tough to see with briggs and even with tillman you, you make a great case but uh you need to get on that voting committee or however you however you get on that jeff and then <laughs> get peanut in there well i think you're right if they win that game against the packers in the next decade in the mm. nfc championship game and then win one of those two super bowls then you're talking about that next level guy and it's one of these guys that we're talking about today it's briggs it's peanut tillman it might be olin Krutz. you know it's a guy like that that we will talk about here in a minute but 
I'll move on to Tommy Harris. And so I, I have the honor of talking about Tommy Harris, one of my favorite guys, but unfortunately another guy that story is really all about injuries. First rounder in 2004, he was drafted to play that Warren Sapp role in Lovey's defense, that three technique that people like to talk about uh, on that defensive line, lining up over the guard. Tommy Harris had one of the quickest first steps that I've ever seen. I Just an, an incredible quickness coming out of a defensive tackle spot. Maybe not quite Aaron Donald, but before Aaron Donald, it was like the quickest I had ever seen. Absolute terror, I imagine, to deal with as an offensive lineman, particularly an interior offensive lineman that's not used to dealing with that kind of quickness and that kind of power that he brought to you. I, I, I imagine he was just a, a pain. I bet Fletcher Cox seems like a good modern-day hmm. comparison uh, to Tommy Harris. Made Pro Bowls in 2005, 2006, 2007, so really well thought of. Looked like he was on his way to a great career, but knees betrayed him. Never really could string together healthy seasons after that 2007 uh, year. His explosiveness really started to disappear. So again, I, I needed to kind of get a frame of reference. So let's go back to Pro Football Reference page. You know, What do they say his short career compares to? And you look at the names on the list. Warren Sapp pops out. Joe Green. Dan Hampton, wow. uh, Merlin Olson, uh, and a couple of other Hall of Famers named Buck Buchanan and Carl Eller, all guys in the Hall of Fame. They, that, those guys pop out on those those shorter year peaks. Again, Fletcher Cox is another name that comes up, and I think that's a really good modern-day comparison for him. And you're talking about a guy that was off to a really strong start. And I came across this little nugget a few years ago. I was reading a book on Belichick or the, the Patriots, and they were talking about the draft that Tommy Harris was in and – Belichick, so this is from the point of view of Belichick, and he was really relieved when the Bears took Tommy Harris because he was really worried that they would take Vince Wilfork. Mm. And while he liked Tommy Harris, he had looked at the medicals and he was convinced that Tommy Harris would have a short career. And so the Bears probably had the exact same information, so they knew that he was a risk to have a short career, and that proved to be correct. And and obviously, Will Fork, very different player. I really like Vince Will Fork a lot, but Will Fork's a very different player. So I'm not trying to compare the two necessarily. Just what I read from this nugget in this in this book on uh, Belichick, but yeah, the Bears obviously had those that medical information, but they said, hey, this guy's worth the gamble because he's just so good and he's going to fit this role in this defense what we want and so i think that really because he was such a good fit for that defense that i i think it was a worthy gamble i'd be kind of curious to hear what you think well you're right when his first couple years he was so so good and like you said the perfect fit for what the bears were trying to do schematically on defense and i don't really think that vince wolferk would fit in there and so i I, if the bears take wolferk there i just i don't know if it works as well and and I, I get what Belichick is saying about the medicals and all that, but you never really know with a guy. And yeah, it's probably smarter to not take a bunch of chances on guys who have medical issues. But when Tommy Harris was healthy and, and early part of his career, he just jumped off the TV screen as a guy that you had to watch on almost every play, which was tough with those Bears teams because who do you uh-huh. watch? Do you watch Briggs? Do you watch Erlacher? Do you watch Tommy Harris? Do you watch Agunlier? And so uh, just a great, great player. I don't, I mean, Warren Sapp is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, Warren Sapp, I don't think is as good as Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's kind of like an all-timer. If you, I think Sapp, because of the system, it's it's a very easy comparison to make. And his peaks, uh, you know, like a play-to-play basis was very Warren Sapp-like to me. And and so I, it really was a great pick, even though it didn't ultimately, you know, the medicals won out on that one and that that is what it is but i think for where they were at and what they wanted i think tommy harris really was really was the right fit there another tommy but thomas is the next guy and for a guy that did not play for that long for the chicago bears another beloved player thomas jones go ahead i agree 100 percent. and you were discussing peanut being universally beloved by all bears fans but he played for 10-plus years for the Bears. Thomas Jones, it, it probably shocks people to, to realize that he only played three seasons. And for someone that only played three, season, three seasons for the Bears, he's at a level of a dormant that, you know, I, I could almost compare him to Tom Waddle in some sort of crazy way where I've never heard anyone that 
wasn't upset about getting rid of Thomas Jones after the Super Bowl. Right. Like he was like just beloved by Bears fans and it was a it was a short run for him but man it was a fun run and he gets off to a rough start in his career. He gets drafted by the Cardinals in the first round and the Cardinals are really bad at this time and so I feel like for his career he had three wasted years for the Cardinals and his numbers were pretty bad for them. Now he goes to Tampa Bay and he plays there one year and his numbers improve and you kind of get the sense of the type of player that he could be and then I remember the Bears signing him and thinking about this and seeing the year he had in Tampa and here's a former first round pick and I just remember thinking like okay this can work and you know on his on that 2004 team uh, he is the offense like there's nothing else it, this is the year we talked about where you know Rex and then Rex gets hurt you got Jonathan Quinn you got Craig Kensel you got Hutchinson and so uh, he, he is the offense that first year and he still has a pretty good year Jeff his first three years in Chicago he rushes for 3,500 yards and he's doing that with those QBs <laughs> Now, and I, I think the decision that if Thomas Jones stays, I don't think that really changes what happens to the Bears in the future. But he wanted a new contract. The Bears didn't want to give it to him. I've even read places where him and Jerry Angelo had an agreement that after that season, he was going to get traded regardless because they had drafted Benson. But uh, before the dust settles on the Super Bowl, they ship him off to the Jets where what does he do? He rattles off three straight thousand yard years. And Jeff is his age thirty and thirty one years. This is when yeah. running backs retire out to pasture. Right. He goes for thirteen hundred and fourteen hundred yards during those seasons for twenty seven touchdowns. On the Jets. On the Jets. He was unbelievable. And yeah. and I really think he when he retired, he was exactly twenty fifth in rushing. I think Shady McCoy has passed him since then. But when you think about the first really four years of his career get kind of wasted. I look at the numbers. I You can make a case if he's on a better team his first four years, he could be a top 10 all-time rusher. To watch him play, especially in that Super Bowl. He was so good, so good. in that Super Bowl. He only, he only got it 15 times, Jeff. He only got it 15 times. Lovey gets off the bus running the ball, Jeff. Criminal. And he only got it 15 times. And I, I know a lot of people still question that, but... He was so good, and I know we were so sad when he left. And uh, it just seems like a great dude. And I know the Windy City Gridiron, you guys had a great piece on him. What was it, a, a year or two ago, and a, a video made for him? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Jack Silverstein, uh, my colleague, who's the historian for the site, he, I think he was a beat reporter during the time that Thomas was there and has a personal relationship with him. And one of my podcast colleagues, uh, Robert Schmitz, helped put together – uh, video for Thomas Jones so yeah it's uh there, there's a lot of love for Thomas Jones and and you're right like you know maybe there was already they knew that they were going to trade him or whatever but you know the locker room was all behind Thomas Jones absolutely and just the, the way he ran and how the stats he could put up with those quarterbacks and man I just wish it would have lasted longer again I don't think it changes anything for the 07 or 08 season but it was a it was kind of a bitter parting for Bears fans and you know down the road he finished his career with the Chiefs and so later on he's retired by this point I'm watching a movie I'm watching Straight Outta Compton <laughs> yep. and I'm watching it and I'm just like oh my god that guy looks that guy looks just like Thomas Jones and I'm like ah, I can't be and so he has a very small part of that movie but I look it up I'm like oh my god it is Thomas Jones and so he, he's in acting now and there was a, a show on Netflix, Luke Cage show or something like it. I, it's not really my thing, but I watched two seasons of that show just because I wanted to watch Thomas Jones in it. And I, I'm no judge of acting, but I can tell when someone's bad. And Thomas Jones isn't bad at all. Thomas Jones was, I thought, really good in that show. I think people watching that show, they would have no idea that this guy was a a football player not only a football player one of the top 25 rushers of all time and so i'm really happy for him for that uh i'm excited to see what he can do with an acting career if he just you know if it expands more and uh, definitely a very very beloved bear and for only three seasons uh it's someone that i think i'll never forget 
what he did for the Bears. Yeah, a couple things. Really good follow on Twitter. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, definitely follow Thomas Jones. For a guy that played for five different franchises, I think he really does identify as a Chicago Bear, even though he had probably more individual success with the Jets, with his three years with the Jets. I think he talks a lot more about the Bears, which I think more probably more team success and going to a Super Bowl, certainly. Over 10,000 yards for his career. And there's, again, that's a that's a pretty short list. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it, but let's say he doesn't get drafted to terrible Arizona teams and have his first few years squandered. Or, I mean, and he's like sixth overall. He goes a couple of picks before Erlacher. Yeah, that's crazy. And so, you know, this this guy was well thought of coming out of college, but has his first few years kind of ruined. And then the Bears, when the Bears acquire him, but then they draft Benson in 05. And so even though Benson gets the the minority of the carries, he's still taking carries away from Thomas Jones. He's not he's not quite the bell cow that maybe other backs are, despite some of the success he's having. And then, he, like I say, he goes to New York. I don't think that the New York offensive lines are necessarily that much better than the Bears offensive lines. And he's getting 13, 1,400 yards in a couple of those seasons. What if he does that in Chicago? I think that that's just, you know, it's more of just like a more beloved player. The flip mm-hmm. side of that is, let's say he stays and he's there for 07, 08. Bears probably aren't drafting Matt Forte. True. And so you don't get in on the Matt Forte career, which, you know, we're both big fans of Matt Forte, who we'll talk about next time. But the primary guy on that offensive line that's going to be creating holes for Thomas Jones would have been Olin Krutz. So Olin would be the oldest, most senior member of the group that we're talking about today. He was actually drafted in 1998, third round pick. And I think that if Olin would have been playing on a better offensive team, I think that he would have potentially made more first-team all-pros, which would have put him in a better position to be a Hall of Famer. I don't know that Kevin Mawai is that much better of a player than Olin Krutz, that Kevin Mawai is going to is in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not and I'm not sure what Olin's chances are. He has not advanced very far in his first couple years of eligibility for the Hall of Fame. And so we're probably talking again about one of those Hall of Very Good players, and maybe not the Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor, if the Bears ever decide to have one, will certainly include Olin Krutz in it. As it is, made six straight Pro Bowls, has one first-team All-Pro honor under his belt that 2006 season, where the Bears obviously got a lot of postseason honors in that year. He was on the All-Decade team, uh, second-team center for the 2000s, and makes every start except for one from 2001 through 2010. And overall, Krutz has 183 starts and 191 appearances for the Bears. Those 191 game appearances is tied for second with Mongo uh, behind Pat Manley. And his 183 starts are second in team history. One start behind, any guess? Um, no. <laughs> Walter Payton. So, oh, okay. you know, makes sense. Not, not bad to be behind, one behind Walter. And then he's two starts ahead of Erlacher. So, you know, again, this is just one of those guys, extremely high level of play for a very long time. That is that is the stuff of legends. 2007, he was named team captain for the first time. And so he, you know, definitely was considered a leader. Of course, he had mixed results with leadership i think you could say Uh, he broke the jaw of fred miller in 2005 fellow offensive lineman where they had a little scuffle outside of practice but you know hey those things happen from time to time i think the bears history we've gone over you know the vast majority of it at this time they are most famous for middle linebackers first running back second i think that's probably fair i mean maybe you could make the argument that's flipped but they've got a really great history for centers and I think it's worth reiterating that here. George Trafton from the 20s, Hall of Famer. Bulldog Turner from the 40s, Hall of Famer. Mike Pyle in the 60s was really well-respected center. Jay Hilgenberg from the 80s. Again, that's kind of a borderline career from him. And I think you'd put Olin, honestly, right next to Hilgenberg. But to me, I think he's the best center in modern history, uh, modern Bears history. I think what made him a fan favorite was that he was very – passionate and energetic and would express that in ways that was very obvious to fans but 
he wasn't like a just like a brawler. I mean, he this guy was a technician. This was one of the the best technicians, offensive linemen that I've ever watched play. Like he he was absolutely just completely sound in what he did. He wasn't relying on some sort of just natural ability or natural strength. He was honestly it was all technique for him, and, and technique and passion, I suppose. And I, there's a picture of him flipping off i think it must have been the packers or something but maybe it wasn't the packers but at least it gets recycled <laughs> every year during packers weeks there's always this picture of olin who's uh given given the bird uh which i think is pretty great but i think he really embodies you know kind of old school throwback chicago bears attitude i don't know i i think it's important to distinguish between this was not a brawler this was a guy who had some of the best technique of any offensive lineman in team history and honestly in the league amongst his uh, amongst his peers he was absolutely just a stud uh player but it wasn't because of some unbelievable natural talent it was he was so amazing from a technical standpoint i don't have the ability to appreciate the offensive line like you do but uh, i know as a speaking strictly as a fan it felt really good to have to know that Olin was going to be your center for that entire decade and play at that high of a level. And the only unfortunate thing is we couldn't give him better quarterbacks to snap the ball to. And I I, I remember one thing in particular, I think it was Orton's rookie year when Orton had to start, Orton tried to do something and like Olin basically like turns around, slaps his hand, tells him to shut up or something like (laughs) try to, you know, no, don't do that. Do this. And so, uh, definitely a, a very smart player, like you said, and a great technician and uh, a fun player to watch. And then that l- brings us to our last player, who was a rookie during the 2006 Super Bowl run. And I can't think of a better way to end the key player segment than with the Windy City Flyer, Devin Hester. Second round pick out of Miami. And Jeff, these weren't the early 2000 Miami teams that were winning national championships. They were very good. But you knew who Devin Hester was. Typically, the Bears' second-round pick, I've never heard of until maybe a week or two before the draft when I start learning about it. But you knew who Devin Hester was. And he was really only a return guy in college. He had some interceptions, played cornerback, but the Bears were taking a second-round pick on a guy to strictly return kicks and punts. And usually when that kind of thing happens, you're like, oh, that might be a little high, but... This pick was like what I can remember universally uh, supported and like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Like, here's this guy we can put on special teams because, you know, our when he gets drafted, our, our team is set up really well for that next year. We're coming off a division title. We're coming off the playoffs. Here's a guy we're going to add into a return game. And I don't think there's a two-year period like his that he has his first two years. No. I... I the Packer game to start 2006 returns that punt. I remember it. And of course he has a bunch of returns that year. I want to, that Monday night game, Jeff, I know we're going to talk about it later on in the podcast, but you and I are talking on the phone. The bears have forced another punt. We're sitting there. I I remember saying to you, Jeff, they're not going to punt it to him. There's no way they punt it to him. They're not going to kick the devil. Rex hasn't done anything. Just kick it 10 yards out of bounds. You'll be fine. And then they punt it to him. And then he returns it for a touchdown. It was just, it was pandemonium. It was unbelievable. And then I, I think of of all the moments of my Bears fandom, the only thing that rivals the Mike Brown plays is Devin Hester's return in the Super Bowl. I, I mm-hmm. Going into that game, I'm like, we're definitely the underdogs here. I don't know. We're going to need a Hester return moment in this if we want to win this game Hester's going to have to return something for a touchdown he just has to and for him to start off the game with that kick return was just unbelievable and it made me think for like 10 minutes we could win this and it was just a a great feeling and I think his second year in a lot of ways is more impressive than his first because teams aren't kicking to him very much but he still puts up about the same amount of touchdowns and even better return better better return numbers and I remember yeah. the Broncos game. Like the, the, that was a rough year for the Bears. The Bears' offense was pretty bad. We're playing the Broncos. The Broncos will beat us by 10 points easily if they just kick the ball out of bounds every time. 
but it's I think it's Todd Sauerbrunn kicks it to Hester twice, returns both for a touchdown. I mean, Hester single-handedly could win you a game. And he does that for two yep. years, and then and then the question was, well, uh, do you pay him, and do you do you pay the guy to just be a returner? And the Bears obviously ultimately decided, well, we're going to pay him, but we're going to try and transition him to wide receiver. And I get doing that. He's such a dynamic athlete where, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he should be able to become a wide receiver. And they paid him number one money, and he never becomes a number one, but I I don't know why you would think he could. And he's not bad, Jeff. He is, his Better best year is 57 catches for almost 800 yards, some, t- some touchdowns. It's not bad for a guy that has basically never played receiver. It's not bad at all. And later on in his Bears career, he returns to pretty much just being a returner. I believe has another Pro Bowl season and then uh, eventually leaves, goes to Atlanta, goes to Baltimore. And uh, he owns the all-time touchdown return record, uh, one ahead of Deion Sanders, I believe, of 20 overall. And and just I, I don't think there's going to be another guy like him and especially with you know the changes to kickoffs that have been made and the fact that punt return percentage is going down with every year you're never going to see anyone like him ever again i don't think you'll see anyone close to him ever again and for no no you won't it yeah, I just wanted you're, you mentioned that stat and it's non-offensive touchdowns and i swear that they they created that stat because well because he kind of broke all of the return records and they were like well okay well Deion Sanders has some punt returns and interception returns so let's combine that number and Deion Sanders has 19 and I I swear that they created that stat uh so that Devin Hester would have something to try to (laughs) and and he broke it and I and he did you know with Briggs with Tillman to some extent as well, Crutes, you discuss Hall of Fame. I kind of think Hester might have the best shot out of all of them for Hall of Fame just because for a two-year span, there is no one that comes remotely close to what he did. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Jeff? I, I think he's got a real good shot. I think he's got the best shot of those of, of that group of four, and I think that it's because it's such a different argument and I think you're making the specialist argument. And so even though like the touchdowns are the those are the sexy thing. That's the that's what the attention grabbers, those are the fun ones to put on there. But we're talking about hidden yardage. We're talking about teams that mm-hmm. didn't kick it out of bounds. For years, the teams they were so scared of Devin Hester and so they weren't booting the ball as far as they could and trying to go down and, and cover it. They were they were purposely, you know, punting it high so it would have high hang time and so that he would not have a chance to return or they were punting it out of bounds and so yeah well we're going to give you 20 yards of field position by kicking out of bounds or by by kicking it high but that at least you're not going to return a touchdown on us and and so there is so much hidden yardage that does not show up on the stat sheet hmm. that he's yeah. responsible for. And he changed the way that the special teams played him, therefore giving those Bears offenses shorter fields. Now, of course, Bears offenses never did anything with those shorter <laughs> fields. Yeah. But like it was it's a really compelling argument to make that this guy changed football games and was like the guy that they had to game plan for, not necessarily as a wide receiver. And again, he's a better wide receiver than people give him credit for. Not a number one. He, If he was in a better offensive mind system, they would have been able to use him better. But they had to account for him in the special teams game. And, you know, I think hat tip to Dave Tobe. Mm-hmm. who gets some credit here for being a great special teams uh, coach as well and putting Hester in a position to succeed and putting the, but the, you know there's 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 some things here like Erlacher would like stand on the sideline you know he wouldn't go to the bench he'd stand on the sidelines and watch this guy return kicks like he wanted to see what Devin Hester was going to do everybody held their breath when the ball was in the air and Devin Hester was about to get it. This was the guy that you had to see. And I just don't think that you can tell the story of the NFL without including Devin Hester in the Hall of Fame. That's, I think, the argument to make for him is this is such a special 
guy, a special teams guy, of course, but like such a special guy at what he did that it's it would be wrong to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Well, Lovey's always Lovey always talked about three phases of the game, and Devin Hester is arguably the most impactful special teams player of all time. Yes. Absolutely. All right, so those are our key players of the decade. We're going to go through some categories here in a minute on the other side of this break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Matt, we're back. So let's get into the categories. So what was your favorite or the best random stat of the decade? The Bears 2005 team has a first-round bye. Their quarterbacks combine for a 59.7 QB rating, and they both complete about 51% of their passes. <laughs> and so it has to be the worst quarterback performance by a team with a first-round bye. Uh as far as I could see in all the 2010s, 2000s, 1990s, honestly, you got to go back to the 80 Bears teams on a team that had a first round bye. And you look at the quarterback and you're just like, how did they do that? That's how good that Bears defense was in 2005. And there's, I, I can't, I, I might, I might have missed an obvious answer, but I couldn't find anything where a team with a first round bye just had a, as pitiful of quarterbacks as we did. Even even well, I, Trent even Trent Dilfer Jeff in 2000 had like a 77 quarterback rating. Well, the yeah no that that that's interesting. The Bears defense in 2005, I believe, was number one overall in defensive DVOA. Well, that Football Outsider stat, and I think that they followed it up in 2006 with being number two overall mm-hmm. in the NFL. So it kind of speaks to your point that the 2005 team was actually a better defense than the 2006, but. Going one and two in back-to-back years just shows how good those defenses were. My favorite stat, and we just talked about Hester, but honestly, it's it's the touchdowns, the the return touchdowns. He goes for three punt return touchdowns and two kick return touchdowns in 2006. Follows it up with four punt return touchdowns and and again two kick return touchdowns in 2007. And so he's sitting there with only two years under his belt and he's got seven punt return touchdowns and four kick return touchdowns. He had 11. So that's what I mean. Like they just created a new stat because they thought he was just going to obliterate everything within a few years and teams started to kick away from him. And, you know, he, he started to spend more time, you know, being a ride receiver. And so his kick return numbers go down. I mean, 2009, he only has seven kick returns. 2010, he only has 12 kick returns. Yeah. That was that was a mistake in the moment. They should have never pulled him off of those returns, but they did it. Be I don't know to save his breath, so that when he I don't know whatever it was, stupid stupid reasoning for a stupid move. But to me, the favorite stat for me was those those return touchdown numbers, which is something that you talk about something that can never be broken. Uh, that is never <laughs> like no one is ever going to have six punt and kick return touchdowns in a year and then follow it up with seven like 13 in two years it's ridiculous it's unbelievable all right this one should be pretty easy there's a lot of great players but who do you think the best player from the decade is it's it's Erlacher. yeah yeah we talked a lot about Erlacher. and again one more time i'm just going to reiterate the fact that he transcended scheme and was able to go into two very different schemes and be uh, first-team All-Pros in both of those schemes to me is just why he is so good. And the people that there, – there's always some, you know, idiot that's going to say, like, well, he couldn't shed a block. And it's like, you know, those other guys are getting paid. 
to uh, try to block him, right? And some of those guys are pretty good. And the fact that he's someone who maybe he wasn't the greatest person about getting off of a block that was coming at him straight on is not exactly an indictment. <laughs> it's, it's just football. <laughs> this guy was, like you say, so fast going outside to side that you couldn't use standard blocking schemes to get at him. And so, yeah, sure, run right at him and maybe you can have a little bit of success, but... Uh, to me, the, the idiots that bring up the one thing that maybe he wasn't the greatest of all time at is kind of silly in my book. Agreed. This one I think is very easy, but again, we've asked this question every time. Most exciting player. You held your breath every time a kickoff or a punt return for Devin Hester. Yep. Absolutely. Yep, it's Devin. Windy City Flyer, all-time nickname as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that nickname. Any time is fine, but there's other players that have had that. Windy City Flyer is pretty great. All right, how about this one? I, I mean, I know my answer, but who is your favorite player from this decade? It, it's Erlacher. Okay. There's no answers that are wrong, but this is a guy, you know, very rarely do the first-round draft picks work out. Very rarely do they become all pros. Very rarely do they become players of the year. And very rarely do they play their whole career with one team. And so, uh, you know, Brian Erlacher means so much more to me than just being a great player. He was our guy for his whole career. And that means a lot to me. Yeah, so these guys, I, you know, they hold a special place for me. I know they hold a special place for you. This, this Again, this is, yeah, in the Championship Bell Series, I call this era my modern romance. Like, this is like... This, these are the guys that made me fall in love all over again with the Bears. And so it's, it's hard. It's hard to pick between favorites because these guys litter my top 10 of all-time favorite Bears players. So, okay, so you, you approach the 85 Bears more like a history lesson. But these guys, you know, we lived and breathed this stuff. So it's incredibly difficult. But for me, it's Peanut Tillman, mm-hmm. who's really emerged as my favorite guy from this era. And I, I liked him a ton during the decade. But I think if you ask me in 2010... And you said, Jeff, who was your favorite player from the last 10 years? I would have been like, well, I don't know. Like, Erlacher is amazing. and But I love Olin Krutz because he's fantastic. And But, like, Hester, man, Hester's so much fun. And, uh, and But Peanut's great, too. Like, And he doesn't get enough respect. Like, I think I would have been a mess in 2010 to try to, t- to try to tell you in the moment. And I might have just said Erlacher. But as time has gone on, and obviously – Peanuts' end of his career was a like a super strong finish, and just as you interact more with Peanut on social media and, and see what he's doing with his life and his career uh, post football, it's like this guy's just kind of turned into my favorite. And, and I, I, like you say, there's no wrong answer here, but this guy's just incredible, and I I want to fight for Peanut Tillman in the Hall of Fame until he's there or until I die. Like, because this guy to me is, he changed the game of football from a position that did something from a position that has never been seen before. And I just, I I think that that is absolutely incredible. And I love that it came on the bears. So who had the best season in the decade? Really tough call. I'm, I'm excited to hear your answer. I'm going with 2005 Erlacher because I can relate it to, He's they, for a lot of people forget 2005. They start off one and three. They the playoffs look like impossible, and the quarterbacks again 59 QB rating, but they go 11 and five. They win a division, and that's because of Brian Erlacher and the rest of that defense. So I'm going with 2005 Erlacher. Right. So it, it, you know it's going to come down to one of Erlacher's first team all pro years so either if you take the, the 2001 season or you take the 2005 season where you won that defensive MVP like you the argument you made or the Hester years of 06 or 07 I think 07 was better obviously he had one more touchdown return but it's, it's more of the like he's not surprising anybody yeah. anymore and, and so I you know I really had a hard time deciding between the flash of the seven return touchdowns for Hester in 07 or the just absolute dominance of a middle linebacker of Erlacher in 05 as he was rewarded with the defensive player of the year. So since you made the case for the Erlacher defensive MVP year, I'll say Hester's seven touchdown year in 07. That works too. Uh, How about best game? And I'll give my answer first. 
So for me, the best game is it's a lot of people contributed to this, but it's Brian Erlacher's game against the Cardinals in that comeback game. This, I said, I think in the moment, and I think I will stand by the statement that I made at that point, but I, I said, just put on this tape when Erlacher comes up for the Hall of Fame. That's all you need to do is just put up this tape and watch Brian Erlacher play because he was a man-possessed and he was able to spark the one of the greatest comebacks in Chicago Bears history. And I this game was so much fun for so much so many reasons. Denny Green's post-game press conference is <laughs> hilarious. It holds up. It's amazing. The you know, crown him, hits the podium, you know, slaps the side of the podium. <laughs> it's so funny. Like I remember watching it live and just like dying, laughing of just because it was so funny. And Erlacher's laughing during this comeback because I think he found humor in this comeback that, that these things kept happening and they kept being able to do this. And so uh, for me, it's the, it's the Erlacher Cardinals game. What about you? No, I, I had the exact same answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't say Erlacher specifically. I just said the entire well, defense. Well, cause I mean, peanut has a big play. Hester obviously has a big play. Mark so, Anderson I mean, has a big play. It's, it's, it's a lot of people, even, you know, Rex Grossman has a lot of bad plays, which puts him in <laughs> yes, that position. And so obviously there's a lot of people that have to step up with big plays to be able to get you back. But to me that, that, and, and again, we're talking, you know, this, this is also up against the, you know, what I'm going to say for the next thing, but what's the best moment play thing that happened during the decade? It's the Mike Brown back-to-back OT interceptions. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's that's what I was going to compare it to is you've got these this incredible occurrence of the the back to back walk off pick sixes. Now the only thing that can compare is obviously that moment of Devin Hester returning the opening kickoff touchdown. Agreed. Yeah. That is obviously an amazing thing, and it was just like we're gonna win this effing game. You know, like we were, it was so exciting. But I, there's something about those Mike Brown, the improbable, the like just the laughter. <laughs> <laughs> of like, oh my God, what happened? And w- one of our roommates at the time, yes. he, he's a Packers fan. He was so angry that Mike Brown returned that, uh, that that ball for a touchdown and the Bears came back to win that game that he threw stuff across the room and left the dorm room. <laughs> yes, he did. Because <laughs> <laughs> he oh, left for God. something and he came back and the Bears had won and he didn't believe us and then he got mad and threw. Anyway, amazing. So, yeah, I, I had the same answer. I mean, which, which way you want to go, impact versus just pure fun and amazement, you know, Mike Brown versus the, the Hester return. So... How about our GM stuff? So let's start with the good stuff. What do you think was the best roster move of the decade? I I have a honorable mention because we haven't really got a chance to talk about this guy much, but picking up uh, Adewale Agunlie for a third-round pick and, and Marty Booker, and uh, people forget he's coming off a 15-sack season with the Dolphins. And he never does that with the Bears, but also the Bears – you know, their, their cover two scheme incentivizes quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quickly. You never see huge sack numbers with the Bears during this time, but uh, a really solid move because Booker doesn't go on and do much, and the third-round pick for a guy coming off 15 sacks, I think that's a pretty solid move at the time. But my, my best move is early in the 2005 season, we cut Doug O'Brien and we sign Robbie Gold. Hmm. Robbie Gold, who we're going to talk about more in the next episode, so I'm not going to say much now, but clutch kicker, especially in 2006, overtime kick versus the Seahawks, uh, has still yet to miss a kick in the playoffs, Jeff, over hmm. his whole career. So Interesting. I think that's, uh, <laughs> at the time, I'm sure not many people noticed it, but, man, I'm glad they did it. That's interesting. I Honestly, I you know, we talked about these players, uh, you know, the, the guys that we picked out and you know, it's like, okay, well, Erlacher was a really high draft pick, but he defined this decade and this generation Bears fans. And so, like, you know, that came to mind. And then it's like, well, you know, Peanut Tillman was an early second. You've got Lance Briggs with an early third. You know, that you could make a good case there that that's just like, that's incredible value out of yeah. a second and third round pick. I, I ended up going with Hester in the late second. And the reason why I'm, I'm going to go that direction is because he didn't have a position. 
Like, they picked a guy that was going to, yeah, we, we know we're going to get return kicks out of him. But that's not something that you do in the second round. The, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. But he was playing corner in the preseason mm-hmm. his rookie year. Like, they, they had him on uh, Marvin Harrison. There's a play <laughs> where he's he's literally guarding Marvin Harrison, and Marvin Harrison easily beats him for a touchdown. And there's some, like – mic'd up chatter that's caught with him i don't know if it's preseason i don't think it was a real game marvin harrison turns to manning or somebody on the bench and say hey did you see who was covering me yeah hester and and so like they didn't know what he was going to do they didn't know that they're going to put him at wide receiver if they're going to try to make him corner my personal opinion is that i would love to see what his career looked like if Lovey Smith says, I'm going to make you a corner because that's what Lovey Smith was good at doing instead of turning him over to a revolving door on offense. But again, like it's kind of forward thinking for the Bears to use a premium draft pick to say, here's an athlete and we're going to see what happens. It's interesting to think of, you know, how quickly would he have been taken if the Bears don't take him in the second round? Because like you said, it, it's pretty rare for someone who is just solely going to return kicks to get picked that high i have no idea i mean it's a it's a really good question i mean it's not like you would want to wait too much longer because he is such a great athlete but you know a a late second you know to me that's a pretty high premium pick to take with someone like that and i you said that it was universally loved but i remember thinking people were thinking well this is what position is he going to play this is kind of a this is a real luxury here i remember for the the team coming off the playoff berth that it would solidify the returning game and that since we had made the playoffs maybe we could afford to make a move like that but it's 15 years ago i could be remembering it totally wrong so what about worst roster move who do you have for that trading thomas jones and then using the pick we got for dan baz no one cares what his name is he was terrible he was gone within a couple years yeah, the defensive the, the pass end rusher, from yeah. Central Michigan, who yep. I don't think ever saw the field. Nope. Yeah, I think that's the obvious one. You have Thomas Jones in house. You draft Cedric Benson, and then you end up trading away what was the better running back and, and the better long-term choice, honestly. So you kind of double down on a bad pick. I think you can also say in the 03 draft, which, again, overall, great draft because you get Peanut Tillman and you get Lance Briggs, but the first round of the 03 draft – is Michael Haynes, Michael Haynes, yeah, and Rex Grossman, and Michael Haynes doesn't do anything. And I remember at the time, and again, this is one of those like, well, if they would have just listened to me, I get it, I get it. But I was in love with Troy Polamalu, and I really wanted Troy Polamalu to come in and play strong safety for the Bears next to next to Mike Brown. Maybe, you know, maybe you don't. That could have worked. Premium picked. <laughs> yeah, that, it seems like that might have been a good thing. I, and I was convinced that the Bears were going to take Polamalu there uh, when they when they traded down, but they didn't. And so I don't know if you remember this, but they traded with the Jets. They had the number four pick, and so they traded with the Jets for their two first rounders. So I'm wondering, what if they stay at pick four? Okay. What quarterback is there? Who's the first quarterback off the board that year? In 2004, was it Manning? 2003. Oh, 2003, is it Manning? Eli Manning? Or is it my, no, that's, my uh, year early? Your year early. 2003, yeah, so Carson Palmer? Pick. So, no, that's that's oh, maybe that's 04, and 05 is the Eli okay. Rivers. So, 03, it's not great. It's not like an all-timer or anything. Um, so, it's not like you would know this off the top of your head. But the first quarterback off the board was Byron Leftwich. Hmm, okay. And so that gets no one excited, but okay. No, it doesn't. But like <laughs> but like what if they stay there, Byron Leftwich instead of Rex Grossman? Byron Leftwich was a was a fine quarterback. He wasn't He's a lot better than Rex, no doubt. You're right. And so was he enough to put those teams over the edge? I mean, you got nothing from Michael Haynes and Rex Grossman. True. So uh, anyway, it's just kind of interesting there if they just would have stayed there and if, if that if their board would have had Leftwich on top, I have no idea. Uh, you know, Mac guy, so maybe not. But, but yeah, it, to me, worst move is is the Thomas Jones thing. It's un, unexcusable. All right, biggest what if? What do you have for this? I I took a I took some liberties on this one. Okay, so, I like it. Okay, so before the two thousand, I guess during the two thousand four off season, because the the Bears looking for a backup quarterback, 
and they ultimately bring in Jonathan Quinn because offensive coordinator Terry O'Shea thought that Quinn knows the system, he can help me teach it. And so the Bears don't get a viable backup for Rex. Okay, and granted, you, you think Rex is going to be the guy. Who can you bring in to back him up? All right, um, so in my little what if, the Bears are not going to sign Jonathan Quinn. They're going to sign a former two-time MVP named Kurt Warner. <laughs> now, I went even a little further with it just to have some fun. When Lovey takes over, there's this coach on the staff that doesn't get rehired. His name is Todd Haley. So in my little scenario, Todd Haley keeps, or sorry, Lovey keeps on Todd Haley as the quarterback coach. Terry O'Shea still gets fired. Todd Haley steps in because Todd Haley is the guy that gives us that Warner renaissance in Arizona a yeah. couple years later. And so Warner can be the guy in 04 and 05. Maybe that renaissance happens earlier. And maybe, Jeff, we got a MVP-level quarterback in 2005 and, more importantly, 2006 when we get to the Super Bowl. I like to think – I like our chances with a, a healthy, playing well Kurt Warner with that team. From our hometown. From our hometown. That's that's pretty incredible. That's going deep, and I like it. I've never heard anything like that before, and so I'm like thumbs up for that one. You know, we, we kind of teased it last time. For me, it's what if the Bears hire Bill Belichick over Dick Duron? I love Lovey Smith. So, you know, this is not an indictment on Lovey Smith. But Bill Belichick was interviewed in the same round as Duron. If the Bears come to agreement with Belichick, you know, again, he's the greatest coach in modern history. He comes to Chicago. He starts winning. Is All you got to do is win in Chicago. I Maybe he would learn some lessons from his time in Cleveland with the media and be able to handle Chicago media. I have a little bit of doubt there. Chicago media kind of sucks <laughs> on coaches. <laughs> and so I don't know that like anybody necessarily plays it well or survives it well. But let's say that he's able to come out and do that. And, you know, obviously you've got, you know, you've got the best coach in modern history coaching that. That to me is the one that has always kind of stuck in my craw since I found that out. But I like your Warner. That's uh, it's, that's new to me. So I, I like that. It, you know, how many decades have we done? Is this number eight? Nine. Nine? Uh, it's become, I mean, it was already clear already that you need a quarterback. But I, I never truly realized just it's uh, 100% important that you have that quarterback. If, if you want to compete consistently every year, you got to have that quarterback. And we've shown decade and decade again, the Bears are really good at not getting a quarterback. Yeah. Yep. So you, I, I like to go back and look back at, oh, who could we have somehow gotten? And, and Warner, Warner was cast off by the Rams. Yep. He's, he's, hurt by, he's hurt his last few years with the Rams. They don't want him. He gets signed by the Giants who have uh, Eli Manning to tutor Eli Manning. And he doesn't play well in, with, in New York either. In fact, the Bears hammer Warner early that year and that's I think that was like the last game he started in but he's hurt all the time like he had these hand issues and he would fumble a lot and starts wearing those gloves Jeff and then becomes plays at an MVP level in Arizona with Larry Fitz yeah all right so we've done eight episodes before this this is our ninth episode in this series and so we're now at the point where one of these questions comes into comes into play and so we're switching it a little bit and so I want to ask you Matt of all of the players that we've covered in the first eight episodes, of the first 80 years of the Bears history, who do you think is the right answer to put on the 2006 team to put the Bears over the top to win the Super Bowl? And because I think we'll probably share the number one answer, why don't you share with me your top three if you have it? Well, I'm, I'm number one. I'd assume your number one would be Sid Luckman. Right. So that's a pretty pressing need. For the 2006 team, uh, I would also put maybe a wide receiver as a need. Maybe you had Barron, you have Moose, they're okay. I want someone a little more dynamic, so maybe a, a Johnny Morris type to go in that spot. So we shared the top pick with Luckman. My number two pick was putting in Hall of Fame defensive end Doug Atkins because again I, I like Agunier, uh and I you know I love Alex Brown on a personal level but I don't think that that pass rush was really intimidating and so I want another pass rusher on that team 
and again, someone who can defend the run well. And so I, I went with Doug Atkins. I think that's a smart addition. I'm with you on wide receiver. I think he picked the wrong one. You going with Harlan Har- Hill? I'm going to take Harlan Hill. I, to me, Harlan Hill is the clear cut guy as like the top wide receiver in this franchise until you maybe start talking about guys that we'll talk about in the next episode or maybe okay. on the current roster with Allen Robinson. So for me, Harlan Hill, you know, particularly given his first three years, just how dominant he was, those were my three guys. I, I like what you're saying about the pass rusher too, and you know, dense a possibility. Right. Someone who could, I mean, he's going to get to the quarterback a lot. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of concluding that <laughs> that particular question. But Luckman's obviously the the answer. And then I think if you can't have him, you know, a couple of those other guys make a lot of sense. That would improve that 2016 and the chances. So what about player from this decade that you would most want to put on the 2020 roster? So you get him in his prime. You're going to put him on the 2020 roster. Who do you got? Erlacher. Okay, and so, I and I don't think he necessarily even has to play in the middle. Where are you going to put him? You can put him anywhere, Jeff. Strong safety. You can put. I him know on you the can out- put him anywhere. I'm I'm asking you where you where you're going to put him. Well, half the downs, Jeff. Since I'm defensive coordinator now, half the downs he's going to play in the middle. But I'm going to move him in pass rushing situations. I'm going to put him and Quid on one side and Mac on the other. And good luck to the quarterback. Okay. I I mean I'm I'm fine with Erlacher. Obviously he's amazing and I think he could play one of those middle linebacker spots just fine. Maybe you could slim him down and have him play strong safety and you know instead of Gibson. I think that's fine. I, I I'm gonna take Peanut because I as much as I'm excited about Jalen Johnson again. I think if you put prime Peanut in this defense across from Kyle Fuller and another guy that can take the ball away. I mean I, I think that you know pair him with Eddie Jackson. Oh my God! Like that would be amazing if you've got two guys with first-team All-Pro caliber abilities at the outside corner position and a dynamic playmaker and first-team All-Pro guy in Eddie Jackson. Not to mention the front seven pass rush. I mean that that's that's where I'm going. Which again, I, I don't know why we do this as Bears fans, but we just like well, let's take another amazing defensive player and add him to an already good defense. <laughs> you know, we're not uh, we're not trying to find an offensive player or anything, but I guess it wasn't much on offense necessarily in this decade anyway. So, uh, but Peanut's my choice for that. How about who from the current roster do you think would have had the biggest impact on this decade? Uh, that's a question I really struggled with because I, I wanted to go wide receiver because I yeah. don't think we really get that guy in the 2000s. We signed Moose which at the time was awesome because, oh, wow, this big-name wide receiver actually wanted to come play for the Bears. And it doesn't really work out for him, and I, I don't think that's his fault. I think we've used Allen Robinson a lot. I think we've used Alshon a lot already. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go Brandon Marshall in the 2000s. Okay. I I said Khalil Mack. I mean, it's an obvious answer. but And, again, what's, what's hard about it is that we're – the Bears are running a 3-4 defense right now, and in the in the 2000s, they run a 4-3 defense. And so, you know, is he is he going to be able to fit into the Bears' scheme? I think Khalil Mack can fit in whatever scheme you want to mm-hmm. put him yeah. into. And so for me, I think if you put, like, a guy that's on a Hall of Fame trajectory with this defense, again, you're just like, you know, again, again I just want to make this defense, like, greatest ever uh, you know, so you add in one more amazing element and stacks uh, strength on strength. But Mac's the best player on the current roster, and so for me, bringing being able to take him back and put him on, you know, again, I'm looking for that Julius Peppers type infusion of talent that the Bears enjoyed at the last, you know, at the start of the next decade. So that that's what I'm that's what I went with. Final question: Who won the decade? Traditional Bears football, Jeff. Dominant defense and running the ball. When the Bears were good during that decade, they did that very, very well. Uh, for me, it's it's Brian Urlacher. It's the guy that played for the entire decade. He was a first-round pick made good. He's maybe Kruitz is the first player that was the building block for the new team, but really it was Urlacher because he's the guy that instantly establishes himself as a star in this league, and he is who that entire defense is built around. He reinvents himself again and again and continues to 
just do amazing things. Being a first ballot Hall of Famer is an amazing accomplishment. And being able to stand on his own footing in this franchise that has Bill George, Dick Buckus, and Mike Singletary, and now Brian Erlacher. Those guys all stand on their own for their own merits, their own reason. Erlacher is a worthy carrier of that legacy, and I just absolutely think that he far and away wins this decade. So that's it. That's the 2000s. Join us next time as we cover the 2010s. Don't forget to keep the conversation going on Twitter. I can be found at Gridironborn. And until next time, thanks for listening and bear down.